0: At a time of deep division in today's society, we must come together for humanity's sake. On Can We Talk 360, we strive to stimulate an authentic conversation on issues that affect all of us in an environment of tolerance. I'm Eugene Pettis, attorney and community servant. Tune into our discussion to foster a greater awareness of yourself and others. Let's discover how there is strength in our differences and an abundance of possibilities when we stand together as one humanity. I'm excited to have with me two very special guests who I think will give us hope about the future of our society and our country. I've had the privilege of working with the Broward County Schools Debate Initiative for the past eight years. I have seen how it has transformed and expanded uh, the lives of so many of our youth. Broward County happens to have the largest debate program in the country. And truly, it's one of the jewels of of our educational process. It's led to some very dynamic uh, students and individuals. Uh, Join me in welcoming our panel uh, for this episode of Can We Talk 360? It's entitled Speaking for the Future. I want to introduce first Courtney Savage. Courtney is a eighth grader at uh, Sawgrass Springs Middle School. And secondly, I have with me Mark Zavaro, who's a senior at Western High School. I think you're going to be equally impressed with them. uh, And I'm interested in hearing their perspectives on many of the issues that we're confronting uh, as adults and get some insight as to how they think about how they can impact some of these issues uh, at this point and going forward with their generation. It was Mary McLeod Bethune who founded bethune cookman College or university, I should say, in Daytona Beach, Florida, that once said, we have a powerful potential in our youth and we must have the courage to change old ideas and practice so that we may direct their power towards good ends. Uh, I'm going to start off with, with Courtney uh, and ask Courtney to tell us in her own words, how her participation in debate has impacted your life.
1: I would say debate has completely transformed my life. In the past, I've never really genuinely enjoyed a specific subject in school. I just went to school and did it all because I knew having a great education could open up many doors and allow me to have a lot of great opportunities and I would never want to pass on an opportunity like that. But by joining debate at my school has given me many opportunities that I didn't even know about. Debate has also profoundly changed my outlook on the world as well. It has given me the power to be more open-minded, which tends to be my weakness at times. But by opening up my mind, I get introduced to different ideas that can help me see different solutions to the same problem.
0: Okay, Mark. How does debate impact you? And, 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 and tell me, first of all, and I'll go back to Courtney, but tell me, Mark, what form of debate do you participate in and
2: how does it impact uh, your life? Sure. So I currently compete in three different events. So I compete in extemporaneous speaking, which is kind of an off-the-cuff speaking event. I also do an informative speech, which is a speech where you get to dedicate 10 minutes to inform the public about some topic. And then I also compete in Impromptu, which is another kind of off-the-cuff event, but less restricted to politics than Um, I would say, basically, for me, competing in speech and debate has given me that kind of proving of anything that I say does have importance. You know, we're taught in middle school, we're taught in high school, you know, you're the next generation. You should try to advocate for what you believe in, try to focus on the future, but you never get taught an actual method of achieving that actual change. And I think speech and debate does a fantastic job in proving to you that, you know, that method is right there. You just have to use the voice that you're given. Um, And that's been my biggest takeaway. It really has that, you know, my voice does carry magnitude and I I do have that power to change whatever it is I want to change, whether it be locally or even in some cases nationally. So, definitely a fantastic experience to try to prove, I guess you'd say, your self worth.
0: You know, given uh, your recognition that your voice has power, uh, have you had occasion to take that skill set and use it in an out of school platform uh, to do some public good?
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think, and that's one of the fantastic parts of speech and debate is you get that option to have that skill set. Really, it's not just the competition. You know, speech and debate does, in all ways, prepare students with an actual skill set. Um, that off the cuff speaking that I mentioned earlier, that really is something that's proven through me in literally everything I do. I mean, whether it be something in you know school like a project, but for me. I got the opportunity to take over a role as a leader in a charity. And I would have never taken it if I didn't have those skills of, you know, public speaking, persuasion, confidence. Once I got those different actions, those skill sets, that's what gives me the opportunity to go make these speeches, go inform our donors, our board members, you know, this is what's going on. Here's what we want to change. So it's a it's really a life lesson in this way, a skill set that you just can't change.
0: That's awesome, Courtney. Uh, tell me about your um, area of debate, and 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 have you taken your debate skills that you've learned and used them in a platform? And you're young; I mean, you're in the eighth grade, uh, but uh, you're not shy. So, have you taken those skills and and used them outside of the school setting um, for some public good? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I would say that like. I feel like I have the ability to ask questions. Well, like I'm not afraid to be wrong, or I'm not afraid to like speak up when I don't understand something. And I'm in an NGHS right now and I I'm trying to lo- watch the officers and see how they deal with problems. And I feel like when I when I ask questions and when I try to come up with a better solution, I'm using my debate skills that I learn in my day-to-day life at school all the time.
0: And and what debate, what type of debate do you particularly, participate in if there's one or two or three
1: types? Um, so it's my first year. I've been to three competitions already. Um, I really love impromptu. Can't do it in high school, but I love it. And I I win most of it. And I did a Congress round and I pretty much enjoyed Congress. So I think I'm going to continue with Congress when I go to high school.
0: And, you know, uh, Mark mentioned the extemporaneous uh, debate and all of them are so incredibly challenging and the talent is, is so impressive. Uh, extemporaneous, uh, is, is always a crowd pleaser in the sense that the pub, that the crowd gives, uh, in this case, it was Mark, a, a, a number of topics. It was like five or six topics, uh, around the world, world topics. And he gets to select one of the topics and go away and come back in 30, 45 minutes and give an extemporaneous uh uh speech that he's put together in that time that he didn't know what it was going to be. And uh sliding uh citing sources, uh, etc. uh to put and from memory, no notes. He's he's doing it off the top of his head. It's pretty impressive, and you did an excellent job. Uh, both of you in your respective areas uh, at the luncheon let me ask you what are the most common topics you know we we hear the news and i'm always wondering is there a, a a gulf or a gap between our youth in 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 grade school and what we as adults are trying to do what are the topics that you hear within your circles of friends and and and, and organizations are the topics that your peers are debating uh, in the lunchroom or in the clubs that you're in uh, that are important to you all? Let's start with Mark on, on this question.
2: So it's almost in a way I hate to say it, but I really do think that at least in high school, in my case, you know, a lot of the clubs that I do associate with the people I interact with in school, you know, they are debate oriented. So I kind of have that privilege of having those debates with people that do know a lot about these different political topics. but. It really, unfortunately, does fall along, at least in my instance, along party lines. It's actually a really sad kind of aspect, but at least for me, you know, we do talk about the more hot pressed issues. So, you know, you think you're like gun legislation, your immigration. The big one, at least in my school, is climate change. We have a lot of different organizations dedicated to climate change aspects, but it definitely shows, you know, in debate that these different kind of divides occurring at the political level are what we really focus on you know it's not so much i'm gonna assign myself the republican or the democratic role in our discussions it's literally just a discussion of the partisanship you know it's it's kind of something we focus on that we just can't keep having that political divide and i think everyone at least in my school recognizes it that it is doing danger to us to have that political divide
0: the uh, I'm gonna get uh, Courtney's response and come back to that point because I'm interested Mark uh, and and Courtney on your perspectives of the political divide and I want to have a discussion on that. Uh, Courtney, uh, what are the hot topics you hear at your school and and among your peers?
1: Well, we're middle schoolers so definitely not as mature as high schoolers. definitely not. But I would say that mask mandate is definitely causing like a lot of debate, especially since after Thanksgiving for us anyway, um, masks are optional. So everyone's like, are you gonna wear your mask? Are you gonna be wearing your mask? I don't know, I'm confused. So everyone's kind of like all over the place with that. And then I feel like most of the stuff we probably like debate are probably stuff like, Oh, my gosh, the schoolwork and like how much schoolwork they give to kids in high school credit classes, because like personally, I'm in like five high school credit classes and I have six periods. Like, I don't like I ha- I do a lot of homework and stuff. And so do my friends. And we're sitting up, staying up late, working on it constantly and constantly. So like we normally debate about like, why do they give us so much work? Like <laughs> <laughs> all the time, we're always sitting there debating like, oh, this is so much work. Like. Yeah, that's mostly, I'm definitely not as mature as high schoolers, but we talk <laughs> about step <stuff> two.
0: <laughs> that you all, uh, we didn't have that much uh, homework back when I was in school. Uh, you know, I have two daughters who are uh, professionals now, and and they got a lot of homework compared to us, and I think you all are getting even more homework compared to them. It's, it's really in- incredible. Uh, you both have raised uh, two interesting points that I, I want to touch bases on. Uh, one, uh, mass mandates. And I was just commenting at lunch with a partner of mine of adults fighting so rigidly on my individual right. You can't tell us what to do. Uh, these these independent, you know, I might individual rights to do what I want and I don't have to wear a mask if I don't wanna wear a mask and you can't tell my kids to wear a mask if I don't tell them to wear it, you don't, you know, just the typical rhetoric that we've heard. How have, in your opinion, how have we lost um, uh, what's good for the community and seem now to be on a chapter in our society of individual rights, not just with mask mandates, but other areas of our lives, what do you all, how how do we get to this point, in your opinion?
1: Well, Courtney? personally, to me, I feel like everyone has their own opinion. And I feel like you can't make a rule and have it su- suffice for everyone. Like this rule you make cannot satisfy everyone and obviously you can't satisfy everyone because everyone has different opinions different ideas different ways to solve the same the same problem so personally i feel that even though i feel like people should be able to do their own thing but know the risks like i feel like as kids i feel like our parents more of tell us how to act or react to situations because parenting so pretty much i feel like we kind of learn from what our parents tell us. And we never, I feel like sometimes we don't, we're not able to have our own thought process because our parents like tell us what's right from wrong from when we're really little. And when COVID just started, my family and I, we hid out in our house for a full year straight Mm -hmm. (laughs) because we were so scared of COVID. And when the vaccine came out, we were so scared too. But my mom, she told me, you know what, I think we should take the vaccine. And, but I was so nervous because they instilled all this fear in me of COVID from the whole year we were sitting in our house. She instilled this fear in me. But, you know, then my mom, one of my mom's friends, she's a doctor, she put it into perspective for me. Would you like to take a shot or would you like to die? So... Based on those two decisions, I went with let's take a shot. So I went and got my vaccine so I could be safe. But I feel like everyone's going to have their own different ideas about what they think is right in their household. So I feel like it's hard to put for people to put a rule. So I feel like them saying masks are optional is a good thing that people can choose what they want to do in that sense.
0: Uh, Mark. What? How, so, how, how? What would you say about the uh, just the seem like the battle between public good and individual rights that we're we're facing?
2: You know, I again, I really hate to bring this back to the discussion I mentioned earlier, but it. I think we've gotten to the point in society where we're preaching this political ideology dictates your stance on issues, and it seems like at least in our society. You know, Florida is a really good example. People have opinions, but their opinions become overwatched by what they see in what a party should be representing. You know, it's not uncommon knowledge for us that in our society, we do have dozens of regulations by the government, Congress, to different actions of our state. You know, we have the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, and they do actions all the time that regulate what we can and can't do but it never became an issue to this degree. And I think because we mobilized this issue of mass mandates, COVID-19, the quarantines, it became that issue of political intention, which mandates in our government inherently don't have to be. But I think at least in this discussion for mass mandates, it comes down to a sense of morality. And I think we've lost that touch on morality, at least in our society where we've allowed our political leanings to get in the way of our morality. And at least for us, you know, we've been mask optional for, it's November, a month and a half. So that month and a half is just proving that, you know what, yeah, we have the kids that do want to wear the mask and that's good for them, their expression. And then you have the other ones that are opposing it. And it's even gotten to a point in some high schools, you know, even Mm -hmm. on the debate community we've talked, where in high schools we've actually had kids that are wearing masks get socially punished not you know not abused punished but restricted from social actions by their peers for wearing a mask because we've gotten to the point where kids fall along this line of where you know you wear a mask you conform oh you're conforming to the government and it's it's a tragedy it really is but it shouldn't have ever become that party lined issue at least in my opinion
0: well, well stated. And, you know, one of the concerns I have is how do we pull back from it? You know, every issue is so politicized. It used to be a time where statesmen and stateswomen um, uh, made decisions that were good for the for society. Uh, we may not have agreed politically on certain things, but for the public good, we are able to come to some uh, agreement. And now, you hear it every single day, uh, just the badgering that goes back and forth within parties and a party one party against the other party. So everything has gotten politicized, uh, everything. And it's, it's it's seeping into our schools, it's seeping into uh, our public space, our media space, just you name it, it's seeped into it. And it really concerns me uh, of how do we save ourselves from ourselves i mean we 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 are going down a slippery slope and when the courts and the politics and the people we send to washington or to tallahassee for the state of florida uh are seeing the party divide and there is no exception there are good ideas on every side of the party put them together and let's come up with the best and somehow we we've lost that over the last. couple of decades and it seems to be trending in a very concerning way you know uh, how, how do we address that courtney uh with your peers i mean you're coming you'll well, be in high school next year
1: yeah nerve-wracking,
0: <laughs> <Very> nerve-wracking. <laughs>
1: um but i feel like a lot of the times when differences come up we divide ourselves a lot and i feel like this is just another example of it like politically I don't watch the news too much because like it gives me like a sense of anxiety a lot of the time so i don't watch the news i just kind of focus on my own because i feel like i don't want like false f- things from the news to kind of get into my head but based on what mark said and what i kind of summed up um i pretty much what i summed up was that the two um <laughs> political to the two political parties Pretty much saying that if you're on this party, you have to believe this, this, and this, and this. If you're on this party, you have to believe this, this, and this, but there's no middle. You can't be in the middle. You're either one or the other. And I feel like in a way, that's how we are with a lot of things. There's no middle, it's always in black and white. But I feel like eventually, hopefully we'll start to see stuff in color. Like I know some of my friends, they're going to be wearing their masks to school, but they'll take it down sometimes. For me, that's like a kind of like a middle of, ma- I'm gonna wear my mask or I'm not gonna wear my mask. So I feel like that's a middle, like I'll bring my mask, but I'll wear it down sometimes, I'll keep it up when I need to, when I'm around a lot of people, that sort of stuff. So I feel like we tend to see stuff in black and white a lot.
0: The um, uh, Mark, you're you you know, you're getting ready to take off to some fine university, uh, University of Florida or someplace. Um, uh, in the country, I teased you, teased you at the luncheon about the University of Florida being on your list. It wasn't on your list, but uh, you had some fine institutions, if I remember, Princeton and some others. Um, the when I ask the question, I'm asking it truly with interest. From your perspective, from you know your your experience, how do we turn this around? What would be one thing you think we can do? And 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 again, it's not a one one idea solution but i'm interested in from your perspective what would be one of the things you say we need to do in order to start being more civil in our approach to various issues in society
2: so uh, i'll start with this you'll have to excuse me you know everything i've done in debate the extemporaneous speaker in me is always going to go political and economic but in this instance i think it's really a lead by example circumstance and we just we lack the basic compromise you know we've gotten to the point as you alluded to earlier there's divides occurring not only between parties but now within parties as well to the point that you know in the democratic party you have progressives and the socialists going against the conservatives and at the same time you have in the conservative parties and the republican party you know the far right against the right and it's becoming increasingly divided i think We lead by example in the people that we elect to Congress in D.C., they need to work on compromise. If we have this compromise on issues of national importance, you know, we just passed this bipartisan infrastructure deal. We keep committing actions like this, proving that both sides of this aisle can work together. You prove to the people around this country that progress is not made on the basis of one party. Progress is made when we come together. And, you know, it's just as Courtney mentioned, we learn as kids, as youth, from the parents, from the teachers, from the adults around us. If they learn from the people they elect to government that, you know, you do have progress made when you come together, that trickle-down effect is going to reach our schools. And you show that compromise is key. You know, I think one of the biggest issues is that we're taught indirectly that you know in government if you have two sides right two parties holding two different branches of the government that nothing will ever happen i know for me personally in my government class one of the biggest topics that we've discussed is if you have a democratic president and then a republican congress nothing is going to get passed because it's just going to become a veto power between the two but if we can show that republicans can work with democrats And you want different opinions. Instead of trying to hate upon that aspect, you prove that we can work together as a country. And that unity that we start in D.C. is going to trickle down to the students. And I really think that trickle down effect is what we need to see in schools. And it's what we need to see in government, national and state. Without it, we only prove the false notion that, you know, nothing happens in division, which simply, unfortunately for our country, isn't true. The uh, uh, you know, and you were talking trickling down. Sometime
0: I think it may need to somehow trickle up, it may need to come from from us, you know, as citizens that this is not acceptable, this is not tolerant. Uh, because I think a lot of our politicians do what they can do and get away with it if they felt they were going to be in jeopardy of their seat because they're out of line with what the public wants. I think that they would, you know, behave differently. Um, so I, I'm not optimistic that we can let them guide us. Sometimes it's we need to guide them through the vote, through who who we're putting in office as as you indicated. Uh let's talk social media. I mean, it's it is it's it's just such a big part of all of our lives, particularly you all don't remember a world without social media, probably. It's, it's been so dominant, certainly Courtney. Uh, from your perspective, how is social media impacting the generation of your peers?
1: Okay, I'm not on social media. And personally, this is a very good thing for me. Because I see, like, with with TikTok especially, like when they, all, they have all these challenges and all this stuff, I feel like, it's just it's just a lot sometimes. And they had this challenge, um, I think is devious, like where you go and vandalize or take apart, um, take something from your school or whatever. And kids were getting arrested on our campus for doing that. And that way, I think social media affects teens very, very badly in that way, because like bath- a bunch of bathrooms were broken, stuff was vandalized and all this stuff. I just feel like that was not a good show of how social media can help people like it's made there to help connect see funny things say hi to your friends who in a different country or different state i feel like those are the good views of social media but like everything that has a bad side has a good side but i just feel like to me in my gr- my grade and age level i feel like maybe i don't know if the maturity is just not there or it's just kid be- being kids you know learning stuff trying to figure out how stuff goes trying different things so I don't know but I just feel like social media right now is just a lot right now for kids especially
0: yeah Mark you know you're 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 a little more mature in years and experience uh, how is it impacting your high school uh, uh, constituents and, and and friends?
2: yeah uh, I really think at a high school level I would almost stray to say that it's worse. Um, you know, there is a degree of maturity, but as you reach these increased years, the increased experience, you unfortunately do have more power. You know, once you have the juniors, the seniors that have their license, their cars, they can drive, they can do their own acts of freedom. You then see an uptake in these different actions that are trending on social media. And at risk of sounding like a supporter of Big Brother, It it comes down to the ultimate, you know, government regulation. You know, we've had, I want to say, I don't want to call them protests, but borderline assemblies at our schools where kids will literally protest when our school will cut off a VPN or not allow us to access Instagram in schools or Snapchat because it's become so interwoven into our daily lives. And I think social media as a whole is a fantastic platform. You know, it's where you get to spread your voice. You know, if you have a digital voice, you can use it. You can use it for dozens of different resources. I mean, I know for at least me personally, some of my biggest outreach is on social media, but it comes to the point where we get so reliant on it that any type of restriction on it ends up causing massive issues. And then it's just like Courtney just mentioned. The second something negative starts happening on social media, If people subscribe to that trend, you then create this cycle of borderline violence. And then the second that it's taken away, you restart the cycle of violence and protesting. So I don't know if it's restriction. I don't know if, you know, you just have to have bans in school. But I think personally, social media is mobilizing this cyclical nature that we simply can't afford when it comes to these different trends, especially on more globalized products like Instagram, TikTok, Facebook?
0: the uh, In one of my uh, previous podcasts uh, earlier this year, a guest suggested that we have official social media best practices taught in the schools. Do you agree or disagree uh, that that is needed?
2: Uh, I'll, I'll step in here. Um, honestly, I think needed it is. It is definitely something that has merit in being necessary. But on focusing on actual implementation, I just don't think it would have any substantive progress being made. You know, it, it is a class that we all need to see. It is a class that kids definitely need to get taught, but it comes down to ultimately if the kid's gonna respect the class. And if the student is going to respect the principles that the class is teaching, and I see time and time again in high schools where there's classes that were mandated to take and they're helpful, but no one respects the content. And then the second you don't respect the content, it means nothing. You know, it's just like the personal finance classes. You know, we had mandates under Tallahassee where we had to have personal finance in schools if you weren't taking other classes. We all need personal finance. You know, I guarantee if we take a poll at any high school, the majority of people will not know how to do taxes or write out a, you know, an invoice or a check. So it's a helpful class, but no one follows through with it. It just becomes a pile of assignments and a pile of coursework. And then you see kids, you know, dropping out, not taking the class seriously, and it just defeats the purpose. So,
1: I I agree with Mark yeah. on that. Most definitely, because I remember in sixth grade in Hillsborough County, we're supposed to take a course on on drugs and how to not be addicted to whatever and whatever. But the thing is, these kids get taught the course and they go through the course and they do everything, but they don't care that much. And then you see kids getting cigarettes, and especially now with vapes at like 13, and you see all this stuff. So it's like. Yes, it'd be nice for it to be implemented, but there's a slight chance that they're going to take it seriously in the end. It would be great, but I don't think it'll be taken seriously.
0: You don't see any behavioral changes coming out of it. You know, in part, let's say the class is an hour. The next of the 23 hours of that day, they're on their own. You know, it it almost seems that uh, the place to curb some of what we're seeing in social media is in the home uh you know through how you raise your child. Courtney, you indicated you're not on social media. In part that's probably no. something to do with your parents and the rules yeah. of the household. Um and and they're not a you know we we've turned a lot of responsibility over to children to make adult decisions. Um, yeah and, and and uh we're seeing the consequences of it. I I do a lot of litigation. I'm a litigator. Uh, and in years past, I did a lot of litigation for, for the school board of Broward County. Uh, I can tell you of cases where death occurred as a result of what started on social media. Um, uh, it's, it's sad that, that you know, we, we're in that space where uh, people exchange different insults, if you will, and um i've seen you know the, the ratley case that was a nationally uh uh reported case about 4 or 5 years ago i can't remember um where a high school boy went to i think it was deerfield middle school and it was social media based and stomped the girl with steel toe boots because of what she said on social media about his brother who had committed suicide uh I can go on and on, but, but somehow um, uh, that's going to be one of the issues that y'all are going to have to confront as, as it's always, as
1: an, it's an issue though. Like when you see the them saying, oh, we're going to come shoot up the school now and whatever on social media, it's like, it's a problem, especially when like, I think it was, yeah, Coral Glades, which is like right next to our school, they Someone said, oh, we're going to come shoot up this hallway or whatever at this time, blah, 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 run, if, run for your life or whatever. And the thing is, they were in a lockdown and we were on a like um, close watch, like because we could go into lockdown soon. So it's a pro- it's really a problem when you think about it, because it's like. All these kids, all these parents at my old school. This kid did a prank that um, that there was a shooter in the school. We all were like so traumatized after that day because it was a real lockdown. It was a real scary thing, and my mom was traumatized. And I didn't want to go to school the next day. And like I can only imagine the kids at Douglas who were who were scared. And I just can't even imagine because it's it's not a joke. It's for real. Like you don't know if it's true or false. So they just call in. All these people when it could be fake but you don't know so it's safe or sorry
2: if i may just add sure. really quickly sure. um so one of the biggest things that you know has sparked my speech and debate career is when i was in eighth grade is when we had our first major incidents which was marjorie stoneman douglas and i lost one of my best friends in that incident but one of the things that we proved out coming out of that attack is that legislation that is being pushed on to schools and even in society cannot be black and white you know when we had the student groups coming out of mst coming out of south florida even western in my own high school the biggest motive was incorporating aspects of our society into this legislation and i think that addresses the earlier question you know how do we fix this issue For me personally, I think it comes down to the inclusion of psychology. You know, we pass this legislation, but we neglect to think about the people's reaction. And it creates this almost, I wanna say operant conditioning model where you have people being punished, but you have no reward system. Kids are going to become immune to punishment over time. Punishment exists on a plane where it's still punishment. The second we stop allowing punishment to become punishment, you have nothing because schools are neglecting that reward side of the operant conditioning. So I don't think, you know, forcing another class upon a student becomes in that case, anything beneficial. I think our best instance in trying to persuade that notion against social media becomes a reward system. You know, don't follow suit, take the safe practice, get a reward, you know, train the positive aspects of society and trying to go against the negatives. And, you know, kids have, one of the most powerful voices, you know, that we can have, you know, following MSD, the state legislatures, you know, all across the districts, especially in Broward County, pushed constantly for gun reform. You know, we got to Tallahassee, but one of the biggest movements that we had were the high school students. You know, they related to the incident, they related to the parents. And it's the same effect here. If we allow the high school students, the middle school students, the elementary school students who are in the issue To be the ones pushing for change, it means more. You know, quite frankly, me sitting in high school, the decisions of one 75-year-old man in Washington, D.C., I'm not going to be personally affected by that decision because I simply don't care about that opinion it doesn't affect what I'm going through today. If you have people that are living in the issue, being the ones advocating for change, the peers respect that. You know, we listen to each other more than we listen to someone we've never met. And I think that's where that principle comes down. You know, let the kids living in the situation be the one guiding the change.
0: How do we how do we allow that guiding the change and allow that voice uh, to be heard? What, what ideas can we come up with? Uh, because I agree. I mean, I, I think one of the most powerful they also had the margin Washington. Uh, the the students, uh, the young lady with the short haircut from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, um, uh, was one of the people I, I remember from the march. Uh, but how we how do we create a platform and a process that allows those voices to be regularly heard? I mean, it it, it almost feels like it touches upon social media again in uh, a good use of social media. Uh, but some of it gets so drowned. If you talk about gun control on social media, you're going to get swamped with people that want a hundred guns, you know, and automatic weapons, and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh how what ideas of 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 how your voices can be better heard on some of these critical issues? So out loud until uh when they went to Tallahassee, they sat down with, you know, the um the governor at that point in time and and talked to the legislators and and had some impact at least for a while uh with uh with washington politicians what do we need to do to bring that back and to have some more lasting impact courtney so yeah go, ahead go, go ahead. ahead go mark go ahead you gotta
2: start it yeah you can go okay um so you know what i think actually the msd reference we just made you know that was i want to say almost like the case study you know that one the girl we're talking about emma gonzalez who protested you know from msd up to congress proved that the incorporation of emotion was a driving factor you know gonzalez constantly referenced, you know i was there my friends were there she was able to build that personal connection And I think that comes down to the embodiment of student groups. You know, in my high school specifically, we have well over 15 clubs that are dedicated to teaching these safe practices. You know, one of them that I'm a member of, we call it the HIP club. It's a nationally represented group. But the main idea is to have the seniors, the juniors, be the ones teaching the freshmen and the sophomores about the aspects of social media, the effects that we've seen personally You know, if we sit down on the first day of school and we get a packet and it says, oh, social media is dangerous because you could get impacted by bullying and online bullying and cyberbullying," And then you have all of these different aspects. It's a threat, you know, it sounds awful but none of us can relate to it because it's just the black and white poster message. If we have kids, you know, seniors, juniors, even freshmen who have had experiences with these issues Impacting them directly, being the ones going to the classes, staying—you know—here's how it's impacted me. Here's a real-time example of how this works, proving that kids are not immune. I think personally, I'll admit this on myself. When I was a freshman, we sat through these classes. It was like, oh, that'll never impact me. You know, uh, I'm exempt. It'll never touch me. And then I've seen throughout my entire high school some of my closest friends be hit the hardest by these issues of social media. So now if I say to you know, my sister, who is a freshman, look, don't get involved in this because you know I've seen the effects that it's had on this person, and this person. She understands that message more than if her teacher was just reciprocating a PowerPoint that Tallahassee provided. So it comes down to relatability. And I think if we push schools to have these programs, that are student directed, that teach these message of self-awareness, you have increased results with relatability in schools. And that can go up to Tallahassee itself. You know, the mandates coming out of the state of Florida legislature are the ones pushing for teachers, the principals, the school boards to do these, you know, campaigns. Kids don't relate to those messages. If the narrative is changed, where you have every school has to have X club, Every school has to have X student organization. You then allow for voices to be created in the schools on the basis of these kids. And I really think utilizing relatability, examples, and self connection from the current students themselves builds a connection that no other connection we can form will create.
0: Well, well, well uh, stated. Uh, Courtney. Um,
1: I agree you- with Mark on that. I really agree with him on that. It was a good point you stated because I feel like when you have a teacher explaining something to you, you don't really get it sometimes because they're living a different life than you. They're not in the same area or maybe age group as you, right? And I agree that like if if a if a, if a freshman came to me and told me, "Don't do this, this and this and this." and they're in that grade, I'll be like, oh, let me take your experience and then apply it to my life. And and when my parents say, oh, make sure you don't do this, this, and this, I apply it sometimes. But then I end up making a mistake, even though they told me this, this, and this. But I feel like you have a good point saying that if it is student-directed, it should be able to speak for itself. And not only that, but I feel like when you see kids who are so motivated to stopped a certain thing then especially when you have more than one person and you have a group and not a protest but you have a lot of people coming together to support something not violently or anything peacefully though when you have that sort of stuff it kind of persuades people a lot more than it just being one person saying oh i think this is this and posting on social media versus having a group or a website to visit
0: very interesting, very interesting. Uh, Courtney, you mentioned the pandemic in, in your household. You say you were all locked down for basically the better part of a year. Uh, yeah. It had an impact on all of us. I think it had uh, a disproportionate impact on our youth. Uh, in many instances, just looking at some of the traditions, proms were skipped. Uh, things that I look back on now from my high school years, uh, graduations were not in person. Uh, And the list goes on. Uh, What was one of the major things you learned? And I'll start with you, Courtney, about yourself during the pandemic.
1: I would say that number one, being I learned I am definitely an extrovert. I am not shy. I love to interact with people. Um, A lot of people describe me as bubbly, fun, energetic, hyper, like all over the place. And this is very true. And when I was stuck in my house with my family, it was like, I just see you every day. I don't want to talk to you, but you're the only person in my house. So we just had to sit there next to each other all the time. And I feel like I just learned that I love to socialize with other people and I need that in my life. And thank God now that I can co- go and do that. But it, before it was just so horrible. But I also learned that me, my family and I, we've definitely bonded. Um, I learned more about my family, we told stories, but I just feel like there were no events going on at our dinner table and it was awkward. Like every single night we were like, so what'd you do today? Oh, I went, I was on the computer. Oh, you, oh yeah, I was also on the computer. So it was just not as eventful, but we learned that, I learned that blood definitely is thicker than water. In my case, that our, my family has my back and we stood side by side when it was a tall challenge up against us. So yeah, that's what I'd say.
2: Great. Mark, what did you learn? My, my biggest takeaway was honestly twofold. The first is that when there is a will, there is a way. You know, I am the same way as Courtney, completely extroverted. I feed myself off of having that interaction. When that was taken away, you know, there were two or three weeks where it was like, what am I gonna do? I, I have nothing. But then there's that will, you know, you need to have the interaction. I never thought, you know, three years ago that a Zoom call would be a mode of having interaction. And then over COVID-19, it was like every single night I was on a Zoom call for four hours talking to, you know, friends from school, debate members, trying to interact. And it honestly worked, you know, it proved to at least me that the digital world is an option. Because we had that will to have that connection and the way definitely got, you know, made. Uh, the second thing is that I love to keep myself busy. You know, when we were online, it became, you know, you sit through school, you're online, you sleep through school, you do this through, like it just, it became the same pattern over and over. I just started taking on more and more things. And the more I did that, the more I fell in love with different aspects of my life. And honestly, it's, it's driven my passion today, even though we're back in school, you know, to have that connection that I built up online, plus my new work ethic that I got to work on myself with that time of reflection. It's coming back to, I guess you'd say, benefit me even today. So lessons learned. That's awesome.
0: That is awesome. What we've talked about some. Uh, societal issues, what do you all think are the um, the critical issues facing the educational institution today, from your perspective? Either of you could get started.
2: My, I, I know this is going to sound like the stereotypical student talking, but objectively speaking, disregarding my position as a student. Mm-hmm. The foundations of Common Core, you know, in our schools, I really genuinely believe is one of the biggest issues facing our education. We have these schools built on the premise of making sure kids pass the common core assessments at the end of the year. It gets the point across that you have to learn algebra one, you have to learn your civics. It's good inherently, but you miss out on the creative freedom. You miss out on The basic principles of the education that you can see in other instances, you know, there's examples all around even Broward County where these schools that are private charter schools that aren't following some of the state public school mandates or common core from the government, their kids are participating in debate. They're participating in drama. They're taking business classes, law classes, because they're getting to follow their own opinions, what they're interested in. And in my view, it saves them thousands of dollars in college when they can take these classes in high school and say, you know, what? I really do like politics. I really enjoy law. Now I don't have to go waste my time in these other classes trying to find out a career in college. But we've built up this place in our society where common core is so important. You know, there was a time. Where FSA results would come out at the end of the year and we'd all huddle up as a group and be like, oh my God, what'd you get? I got a five, I got a four, what'd you like? It became a competition. And it should have never gotten to the point where the entire point of our education was to prove your testability. And it's it's reflecting even today, because the people coming out of the public schools are so well acquainted to the testing that the liberal arts institutions, the universities across the United States, they're having issues because the kids they're admitting are following the textbooks. They're following what they've always been taught is you know learn the material, reciprocate it on a test and you're good. You know When you start talking about processing critical thinking, that's not taught in schools. So when you start asking that of students in college, it goes away because it was never taught to them. So I think at least for us, that mandate on the common core has become so integral to our schools and it honestly has done more harm than good
0: very interesting perspective and and there's a lot of you know even all the way through you know law school um you look at those things that you're forced to take and you were taught and what you utilize and the skills that you utilize are often the skills that you get very little uh education on in 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 school because they're they're busy teaching you the common core subjects, uh, you know, calculus and stuff that I'll, fortunately, never have to use again in my life. <laughs> the the uh, But you spend a lot of time in those classes, but you miss how to have strategic thinking, analytical thinking, creativity, uh, communication skills, some of the things that you use each and every day that we don't spend enough time teaching to students and 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 i do think we have some of that backwards courtney
1: um i definitely can agree with mark on that i feel like right now i am trying to apply to american heritage and right now they're like what are your goals and for your future So my mom's like what do you want to be because i'm trying to write this essay and i am so stumped because i have absolutely no idea you know when you're younger you're like oh maybe i'll be a firefighter and a ballerina and also a tooth fairy but i can't say that anymore like i have to narrow it down and it's so hard cuz since after debate now i'm like thinking lawyer and now i'm also thinking orthodontist and now you know now i'm thinking oh wait but i don't really like i don't like science that much but i mean it's just the one class i'm taking though and i'm like bouncing back and forth between all this stuff and then my teacher brings up oh what about computer science you kind of like that and i'm like and i don't know what to do and it's mostly because no one like I don't, there's no class to guide me through this. There is nothing, there's no one that I can like personally go to that knows me very well to, for me to go and ask them, hey, what should I do? Is there like a test I can take to figure out what I want to do? But I don't know. So honestly, I feel like it's a good point to have like a wider range of classes than like, than just like, I always have to be language arts, math, science. Cause like, I don't like language arts at all. I, I'll write a poem. I like writing poems, but I don't like language arts. I don't take it, I didn't take it this year because I did it online, so I did, so I don't have to take it in school. Because for me, it's a waste of time. So is Jim. I took Jim over the summer, so I don't have to take it. I think it's a waste of time. And I replace it with other stuff so that it can be influential to me some in some point down the line. So I just think, I feel like, yeah, I wish I had, there were a wider range of classes than it just being, oh yeah, math, Science, history, this, and the rest of them, and language arts. I just, I wish there was a wider range for me to choose from.
0: Let's. Uh, I, I could talk in, to y'all and discuss these things all all day. I mean, you all are two really sharp young young folks, and and uh, I I would love to track uh, where you go from here. The future is bright for both of you. Uh, one topic I thought would be a fun way to end the session. Uh, with you and put your debate skills to the test, uh, is what would you be uh, better being really big or really small? Which would you choose? What would be better being really big or really small?
1: Personally? I don't know. Um, if it's between tall and small, I'd probably even though my mom is like five nine and my dad's like six four and they're really tall. I'd prefer to be like really small. And I and I'd probably and I'd say this because mostly because like I like watching Guinness um, R- Guinness World Records and all that stuff. And when you look at the tallest man in the world, he may be like he's like around eight feet and seven inches. Like he's he's tall. And I think about it. It's cool and everything, but it's like he has, he has a certain, um, a rare, a rare condition, and it's, like, pituitary gigantism, I think, and it's where he has, like, painful, um, if you have, like, larger hands, um, like, bigger bones, but you have painful joints, and I feel like, yeah, I feel like I'd sacrifice my height to, to not have, like, painful joints, or, and shorter people have a lower chance of a, have a higher life expectancy than taller people so i'm like oh i want to stay away from death as long as i can so i'd probably say i'd want to be like short i'd want to be smaller and shorter
2: okay mark well you definitely get your wish for seeing the debate skills cuz i i'm going to have to disagree on this one um at least for me personally it's in all the work that i've done up to this point you know the 18 years i've been on this planet it's incredibly evident that as much as we like to say that every voice is treated equally, the reality is, is that in this country around the world, that's not always the case. And a lot of times we see these instances where metaphorically, the smaller people don't get that representation. You know, they don't have their voices heard to the same degree that big people do. And, you know, I've built up all of this experience in being that voice for these people that can't help themselves. You know, one of my biggest goals in the charity that I work with has been trying to help people in a small community in Bauchi state, Nigeria. You know, the ways of life there are completely different than the ways of life we have here in the United States. But it takes a voice that is bigger, that can be heard to help them. So I personally, I would rather be too big to be the one that has that metaphorically larger than life kind of opinion, to be able to help the people that couldn't help themselves. You know, I feel like if we are too small, our voice gets lost. And I think that's one of the defining principles of this generation is that we have to be the voice. You know, there's too much that has been taken away, too much at risk. So as long as we are the bigger people, we have the voice needed, that's the voice that creates change. You know, not to, you know, disagree with the opinion of Courtney. It just, I feel like in my experience, you know, maybe it's the high schooler and me talking. It comes down to the point where we have to be the ones responsible for change. And the only way we do that is if we are the bigger people. So I know that wasn't a, a direct representation of the question but metaphorically speaking at least in my eyes you know i'd rather be the bigger person that has that voice for the smaller people to help the people that need it the most
0: no i think that both of those are excellent answers and two interesting perspectives i want to thank courtney and mark thank you so much for your time uh i was impressed with you all at the lunch and i'm even more impressed to kind of get off the grid and hear some of your uh, expressions and opinions on t- topics uh, that we've discussed. There's so much we can learn from each other by listening. And I think it's, it's, it's not that the older people have it right. I think we should have a process where we listen from the youth uh, because you all have not been tainted as much as some of the uh, things that happen over time. Uh, and, and, and you all are a representation of what is possible and uh, Mark, you've mentioned several times to have your voice heard. You 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 have to commit uh, to making sure that you all have the confidence and the commitment to have your voices heard on topics. Uh, you have the skills and the stature uh, to be a beacon of hope and light to your um, uh, friends and to people that don't know you. So thank you so much um, for your time uh and 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 please stay in touch and i'm going to stay in touch with you all if there's anything uh, that i can do along the way uh please reach out to me i wish each of you all the best
1: the law firm of hallitzer Petison schwamm is a proud sponsor of the can we talk 360 podcast our firm handles medical malpractice wrongful death catastrophic personal injury litigation and workers compensation matters we pride ourselves in being advocates for justice on behalf of those who have been seriously injured. For decades, we've taken the lead in making your case our priority. It's who we are. It's who we'll always be. Halitzer pettison schwamm Serious injuries. Proven results.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Can We Talk 360? I sincerely hope that you are inspired to seize this moment in time and take real action towards change. Remember, all change begins with a conversation. Be sure to tune in every month for more fascinating discussions and motivational food for the soul. Please share with your friends, family, and colleagues. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at CanWeTalk360 and visit us on the web at www.CanWeTalk360.com.